Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. As always, you can email us at food at markbittman.com. We love to hear from you. Please also subscribe to this podcast and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And check out and subscribe to the Bittman Project, our three or four times a week newsletter and fabulous new website. This week, you can read about Kate's obsession with roast garlic as a condiment and 20, maybe 20 ways to use it as such, including spreading it on pizza dough before you add any other toppings. And Adam Reed, my old colleague Adam Reed, writes about the solution to his sweet tooth in the form of fruit truffles. Yes, you heard that right. Check out also our new website, its wonderful recipe archive, and its many splendid articles. We'll see you there. Back in a minute. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you don't yet know who Lalani Lewis is, get ready for us to wax poetic about her a lot moving forward. Lewis is a talented chef, food stylist, and culinary activist, and her first book, the wonderful, beautiful, intriguing, fascinating Code Noir, is just out now. The book follows in the footsteps of Lalani's popular dinner series. Both are named after a set of French regulations put forth by Louis XIV in 1685 that was in effect for more than 150 years, and which outlined how enslaved people in French colonies could and should be treated with regards to just about everything 
you can possibly imagine. Why would she name her book after that? You'll find out, and you'll also hear about a picturesque childhood with an Irish mom and a Grenadian dad and all of the culinary delights that brought and the inspiration that it still brings her today in just about everything she does and much, much more. This is a full-bodied, wonderful, intriguing conversation, and Kate and I left it feeling like we'd made a new friend. Those are the best conversations. Just one more thing before we get started. If you like this episode, I'd love it if you check out my interview with Michelle Norris from January 17th. We talked a lot about food bringing people together and food and love in both that episode and in today's. And I think if you listen to both episodes together, you might end up feeling pretty good. You can find a link to that episode on our website. We love your book, Code Noir. And uh, you obviously had a diverse, rich childhood and adolescence coming of age, both in terms of love and in terms of food. You're quite candid about all of it. Can you tell us a little about, let's focus on your culinary upbringing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, my culinary upbringing was pretty diverse. Uh, I was very fortunate to have, well, I guess in some ways, born in London, um, which is just a hugely diverse city as is, but specifically South London, which has a huge uh, diaspora of Caribbean um, and African people, uh, along with lots of different other communities. So I grew up eating loads of different um, Caribbean foods, but my parents also had like a very multicultural array of friends. So, you know, whether it be my Mauritian godmother or Pakistani friends, um, and all of those people kind of ended up bringing all of these foods to our house and, you know, and it was always just such a feast, you know, at my house. And food was always the kind of convenial thing that brought us together. And I think that happened in a lot of, for want of finding a better word, diasporic or ethnic people. Like food is always a thing that centers them, you know? And uh, yeah, so I, I had a really multicultural upbringing, not just because of the fact that my dad was from Grenada and my mum was Irish. And so I grew up also eating the Irish stews with the suet dumplings or the the meat and potatoes and boiled cabbage, which I loved equally as much as I loved the kind of tropical chicken curries and rotis. So it was all so diverse, but also di- so delicious and heartwarming. Every, every food that I tasted whilst being brought up, you know, it was all cooked with so much love. So it just filled you with warmth. Did anything feel exotic or did it all just sort of feel normal? Did you think... I mean, was there a point at which you thought, oh, my God, I live in this crazy house where we're eating roti one night and boiled beef and cabbage the next night? Or it just seemed like that's what people do. I think so. I think when you're a child and you don't know any different, that is the that's the normal. It's the it is just the norm. So I don't think anything seemed to be particularly exotic to me. There are foods that I wasn't accepting of. Like, I think growing up, I was actually quite a fussy child. I wouldn't eat anything other than chicken. And by chicken, I would mix up beef and chicken. And my mum would just say, yeah, 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 it's chicken. So eat that too. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I I was very, I was quite fussy. But um, as I got older, you then start to appreciate those foods. So for example, 
having moved to Holland and the, the, them eating raw herring with raw onions on top and just slurping it down in a whole bite in their mouths is so normal and accepting for them. And that, for me, just feels a bit... Mm, I, I, I question it. I, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember when I started to eat. We had a lot of smoked fish growing up because my, you know, my grandparents were Jewish and that was just what we ate, appetizing. And I can't remember when I started liking it, but I feel like I liked it yeah, pretty you young, did. which is crazy because mine would never. But. <laughs> yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your gorgeous book, Code Noir, is named after a set of French regulations put forth by Louis the Fourteenth in 1685. And these regulations were in effect for more than 150 years. They outlined how enslaved people in French colonies should be treated with regards to everything from the ownership of children to how illness was handled to when and how masters could free their slaves to the amount slaves were fed. What prompted you to name your book after this decree? Yeah, known as the most monstrous legal document of all time, for sure. It's a it's a very powerful decree that carries a lot of kind of dehumanizing weight to it. And of course, like, why would you want to name a book after something so horrific? Um, there's this uh, pro- African proverb that I always, it resonates with me so much. And it is... Um, until the lions have their own historians, the hunt will always be glorified by the hunter. And so every single time I say that, it just it just strikes me right in the middle of my heart because it's like, yeah, the people who have the power are the people who have power over the narrative. And the narrative of Code Noir is obviously that of dehumanizing enslaved Africans. But what if you kind of reverse that and you claimed that narrative back and said okay yes we can't smooth over the fact that this happened but at the same time look at the beauty um and the the diverse cuisine and the brilliance that these people have managed to create even despite of the adversity despite of the cruel treatment and that's why I think I've named it Code Noir, not I think, I know that's why I've named it Code Noir, because I wanted to kind of flip the script and flip that narrative and give power back to those people's narratives, to my my heritage, and to say, you know, look at the beauty that has come out of that adversity. So that's why I've named it Code Noir. You mentioned dehumanization, and I think there's a way in which we think of enslaved people as being somehow other, you know, with unimaginable lives, even sometimes dehumanized lives. And of course, part of that's true. But another truth is that, of course, they developed and maintained cultures, including cultures around food. And, you know, despite horrific circumstances and extremely limited resources and time and freedom, enslaved people developed their own dishes and dishes. These are dishes that became fixtures in the Caribbean and the Americas around the world. Can you talk about some of these, especially the ones that you find most inspiring? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, they have become absolute fixtures within different countries and and have been held up as national dishes. And I think that just speaks to 
you know, the the power and the resourcefulness of some of the um, the enslaved Africans' way of creating and adapting these different ingredients, you know, whilst bringing some of their own ingredients from their their continent, from the African continent, and then bringing it into this new country, how they were able to adapt those ingredients using new ingredients that they'd never even come across before and creating these incredible dishes. And some such examples are, for example, um, the national dish of Jamaica is known as ackee and saltfish, and it's dish of salted cod or bacalao, as many people know it to be called, um, bell peppers, scotch bonnets, um, and ackee, which is a West African fruit. And there are many stories of how, you know, how did Aki even get to the Caribbean? And there's stories of the fact that um, in the interior of, of in the continent of Africa and different countries, they knew that there were some tribal wars which were basically being armed by Europeans and, and actually ignited by Europeans. And people were being pushed towards the coastlines of Africa. And so women started to... Within, with their feeling of insecurity, started to put seeds into their hair and, and actually um, embed it into their cane rows. And so this is how some of the foods that are from Africa were actually transported to the Caribbean. So that for me is like this beautiful story of oppression and liberation that they were able to use these ingredients which were for just a survival and then kind of create something which has become like an emblematic dish of pride for that country. I feel like in some of these cultures, blackness is being erased and it's being um, just as colonialism did so many thousands of years, hundreds of years ago, and it's happening again. And I feel like within food, you see the lineage and the heritage being preserved you know that pride that sense of pride that enslaved Africans no matter how torturous or difficult the conditions with which they were living in still managed to create these dishes which have become emblematic to those countries female genius (laughs) (laughs) female and male because it was my dad who taught my mum how to cook and she didn't have an absolute clue how to cook anything so the book was born from your dinner series also called code noir which after reading about it sounds sort of like a culinary history i mean the way it plays out is so beautiful uh and of course it's in line with your tedx talk about uh how to use food as a tool to reconcile history can you tell us a little bit about the dinners they sound incredible yeah, the Code Noir dinners were, I'm not a person to usually brag, but they were exceptional and they weren't exceptional necessarily because of me. It was because of all of the different involvement of the different artists and bringing this narrative alive. I, I never could have imagined such a thing to have happened um, just from my mind, but also uh, this collaborative effort from everybody else. So the dinners were basically the the basic premise was that I wanted to host a dinner um, that was a kind of immersive experience exploring the culinary history of the Caribbean. And so I wanted to basically 
look at the four different epochs that were quite significant to the change of culture, culinary history, um, agriculture, to the ingredients that had all kind of changed um, modern Caribbean into this kind of melting pot. So looking at um, indigenous food culture, then European, uh, then African, and then later uh, Chinese and Indian indentured workers. And so with the dinner, we took the um, participants or customers on that journey, looking at the different starches that each of those cultures brought in. So myself and another chef, we figured out ways in which we could interpret those dishes in new or kind of traditional ways. Um, and so the customer would go on this journey within these four different, uh, tasting these four different starches from these different influences, and then also having like artist performances. So, for example, with the indigenous course, we we looked at cassava, which known as the staff of life, and we had a spoken word artist talking about that, and then we also had another artist who was actually making a cassava bread on an open fire, on a wooden boat. Health and safety doesn't really exist here in the Netherlands. (laughs) (laughs) On the sixth night of the dinner, the boat did catch on fire. True stories. Uh, How'd that work out? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Just a minor fire, which quickly got put out. (laughs) Um, Then the second course, the audience was taken into a darkened barn and there was a long table with candelabras and Baroque music and they were treated to another iteration of like a European course. And then the African, we had a spoken word artist literally on a boat going across the river doing a spoken word piece kind of dressed in traditional attire with a head wrap. And then um, people were given a dish Um, which was, you know, African-inspired with African ingredients and then a sugar cube and a note to put that sugar cube in the drink. And it was all just a way to kind of get people thinking, where does my food actually come from? How is it that I have this ingredient on my plate now? You know, so striking up this conscientiousness, which was in a very kind of like subversive way, And this was at the time when Black Lives Matter was happening. And so it felt very urgent that we were having these conversations. And food felt a very natural way to be able to have these very difficult conversations in a digestible manner. And I think loads of people left feeling super impacted, but not necessarily knowing why. They knew knew that we were talking about colonialism and food, But I think it just kind of put seeds in their minds that would later on germinate. And and so I just think it resonated with a lot of people. That's such a smart way to engage people, because I do feel like people don't want tons of information thrown at them all the time. But when you engage them in a creative way, it's so productive. You know, I asked a friend of mine um, when everything happened in 2020, I said, what are some books I can read about racism. And she was like, don't just read novels by black people. And I should say she's black, obviously, but it was such an interesting (laughs) take and so smart, right? Because in a way you're learning more about people's lives 
when you're engaging in a creative way, as opposed to like, I mean, I have such a small attention span. Reading a nonfiction book is <laughs> kind of difficult. I'm better at fiction. And yeah, it was just, it was really interesting advice. And I mean, I think that goes for the dinner series too. You're learning in this wonderful, creative way. You're still processing the information, but it's just a different way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, it felt urgent to be able to have these conversations. And I just, you know, people have since called me an activist and I'm like, oh, okay. I reluctantly accept the the uh, the title. But if by activist, it means provoking conversations and allowing people the space to have conversations and to have a, a difference of opinion and and to be able to share that in a safe way then then so be it then yeah okay I'll happily accept the title that I'm an activist but I think that you're right like we have to we have to kind of um pull on people's heartstrings to a point uh there's this kind of saying from this um, activist who basically apparently changed the mind of a Ku Klux Klan um, leader. And she said, the way to change a person's mind is to change their heart. So if you can really help somebody understand and to really truly empathize with somebody else's plight, then I think that is the way that we can help people understand others outside of themselves, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. talk about changing culture being the most important thing. You know, you get into conversation, it's about how are we going to change policy and how are we going to change regulations and reality and da, da, da. And there are people who just repeatedly say the way to do this is to change culture. That culture has to change first. It's not, I don't know the answer to this. I'm just saying that is one way of looking at things. Stay tuned for more from Lalani, Kate, and me. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? a tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out. I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We'd like to talk about the food a little more 
and just give you space to talk about some of the other dishes you might have created for Code Noir, the book, or the dinners for that matter, that you're particularly proud of. I have to say, I really love the corn ribs thing, and I never thought of that. It's like so smart. <laughs> and, you know, of course, the sauce is great and it looks like a great dish and all of that. But just that way of cutting up corn is so clever. I wonder if you could just talk about a few of the dishes you're especially happy about. I mean, it, it felt like a really monumental task to write 80 recipes. And when I was like forming the book, I was like, okay, how many recipes do I have in my bag, you know? And somehow I'd just done the titles of 80. And then I was like, okay, but now I have to cook them. And not just once, but twice, but three times, maybe even four. So, oh God, what have I done? But there were a few dishes that were, I drew on inspiration from family dishes, dishes that I'd learned from my family or being inspired by my family dishes that were super familiar to me and it's not necessarily that I had a recipe from them it was just I was so familiar with the taste that I could emulate it in something that I made and then there were dishes that I felt particularly proud of because they were just using the ingredients but in a different way in a way that probably other generations like my aunties, older generations wouldn't have thought of or wouldn't have used in that particular way. And so I think that's what kind of differentiates the book from traditional Caribbean cookbook to something that is like evolving the cuisine in a way. And so some dishes are like, you know, in terms of the modern interpretations are like the um, sweet potato patties with the callaloo sauce. And that callaloo sauce is if you taste it, it's so damn good. Like it's um it's spicy, it's it's peppery, it's it's got like kind of a smokiness. It's just really delicious. Then paired with the sweetness, I, I love that sweet and sour and kind of combination. So that's a really good I really like that. I really enjoy that. And then going kind of more to the traditional recipes, um the escovitch fish is really is really nice and I really and this is kind of my showboat a recipe is uh there's trini doubles I absolutely love the trinidadian doubles they are so delicious and with all of the condiments because I'm a condiment queen if you look at my fridge it's like two top shelves of just condiments and, and so <laughs> right and so it's um I love I love the doubles because of the capability it has to have as many condiments thrown on it as possible. So <laughs> it has the, <laughs> the you know the batters with the chickpea curry in itself is just tasty. But then with the green seasoning, the pickled uh, cucumber, the coconut yogurt, tambourine sauce, the hot pepper sauce. I mean, it's just. It's just so, it's an explosion of flavours in your mouth. So I definitely think you should try that one. And then in terms of uh, canons for the book, I would say the green seasoning is like a canon recipe. Because if you know how to make that, and it can be used as an additive to stew, soups, sauces, everything, or it can be used as a dipping sauce. So if you can make that, then... And you can use it for every single cuisine you could think of. So, <laughs> Describe it. It's just a hubucious sauce. It was kind of like a salsa verde. You could kind of describe it as it's a mixture um, between, well, 
if I had access to it, would use Shadon Benny, which is like a, a cilantro, basically. I think you guys can get it. Um, not cilantro, chulantro. So a bit different. Yeah, the, the Puerto Ricans call it culantro. 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 That okay. sort of sword, sword-like spiky. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, you see that in Southeast Asia too. Yeah. But then in absence of that, I would use coriander, um, oregano, parsley, vinegar, apple cider vinegar, sugar, salt, green pimento chilies. So they have like a more fruity kind of uh, less spiciness to them. But that combination of those herbs, the salt, the sugar, the vinegar, it's just such a flavor bomb. It's got everything to it. Do you try it? Will do. I wanted to talk about Grenada for a second. Your father's from there, and you clearly have a deep connection to it. And you've written about the disconnection most of us have from our food system in Europe, in the U.S., at least. You can say that about much of the world. I, I wonder what things are like in Grenada. I've been there a couple times, but not for a while. And um, But I've traveled in the in the island some, and I know that Food and foodways are just difficult there. I wonder if Grenada's unusual in any way. It's not unusual in the sense that, well, it's a tiny island and everything is very expensive. But what I have noticed, I just came back on the 21st of January. I was there for three weeks. And, you know, obviously I talk a lot about colonialism in the book and, and in my work that I do. Um, in my workshops, in my um, uh, in my dinners, in my pop ups at my studio, it's all about decolonization because I think that rather than ruminating on the past, we should be looking towards the future and giving value back to the cultures that have been erased or devalued. Or um, and one of them is Caribbean food, so that's why I'm so passionate about talking about that. And one thing I noticed when I was in Grenada was this adulation of of uh, American food and culture and so what you started to see is that despite the fact that they have this amazing food culture yeah maybe in some ways limited uh, and not ha- it hasn't necessarily evolved to a huge degree what you do notice is this adulation of American food which so you see chicken and chips in every other shop and I can't tell you the amount of times that I ate chicken and chips just out of the sheer convenience of needing food and there being nothing else on offer. And I was so annoyed with myself and I'm so annoyed with the fact that, you know, this was so widely available. Um, and, and you then start to see, like, physiologically people change, right? Because they're eating this fried these fried foods. And... I went in there with this feeling of, oh my God, you don't realize the abundance that you have, like the abundance. And when I say abundance, I mean, there were trees with fruits and vegetables, just fruits falling off and rotting onto the sides of the streets and being able to go into my um, my auntie's back garden and cutting, you know, the fresh callaloo or the 
taking a bunch of green bananas off with a garden hoe because that was the only thing I had. I didn't know I was so strong until trying to whip the bananas off that tree. But they don't realise the abundance that they have because of basically global cultures saying, you know, this is this is what you should be aiming for. You should want uh, the newest iPhone or you should be wanting to eat junk food. So I think that really struck me about Caribbean food culture or Grenadian food culture. I have a funny kind of relationship with Bermuda because my partner is half Bermudian, so we go a fair amount. And um, it's amazing how little of the islands is agricultural and it's amazing how expensive the sort of homegrown stuff is compared even you know a, a bermudian grown carrot is more expensive than a, an american carrot it's also amazing what happens once in a while when a ship doesn't come in and suddenly the supermarket shelves just start emptying i mean you can see it on a week by week basis if a ship's not if a ship misses a delivery it's like those islands are on sort of week-to-week basis of food because so much is imported and so little is grown locally and less and less because of development and tourism and so on. Yeah, it's super sad to see that. It's really sad to see that. And, um, and also just this kind of like movement towards this homogenous culture, you know, like this homogenous Western culture. I was re-listening to an, an amazing podcast about Puerto Rico and um, after the hurricanes, you know, how they had to start weaning themselves off uh, American imports and starting to become a bit more self-reliant on the produce that they grow there. And I think it shouldn't have to take something like a huge natural disaster for people to start becoming self- more self-reliant. But when you're basically, I don't know, it's not necessarily, yeah, when you devalue your own culture, because that's just colonialism has done that and kind of changed your mindset then that's what happens. You want to have these expensive products because that's what everybody else has. But then it's also you start to see how much of those products are, they're actually the worst products that they're being, are being sent to those islands. You know, they're, they've got so much more sugar. I mean, the Fanta that's sold in Grenada, for example, was luminous <laughs> orange. It was like nuclear that. orange. I was like, oh my God. I don't know if I want to actually drink that. But then I did, and I was like, oh, it's quite good. <laughs> Let me not look at how many, how much sugar and e-colorings are in there. But, um, but yeah, then you start to see that, and you start to see packages with, like, fortified, then, you know, um, rice with fortified minerals. And that's because people are just not eating food that, is grown on their lands, which actually is way more nutritious and way more kind of set up for their physiological structures. So, um, yeah, I would love to have people in Grenada revaluing their food systems and the food and the abundance that is there available on their island and on their doorsteps. Yeah. I mean, not to idealize Cuba, but that is where that is the best example of a Caribbean island that's moving towards sort of agricultural self-sufficiency or has moved towards agricultural self-sufficiency out of necessity. And it's, again, it's far from perfect. I've been there, but it works to some extent. Yeah. 
But yeah, as you said, it's out of necessity. And, you know, until they're moved because of that necessity, then maybe that's never, it's not going to happen. Until there's no Fanta. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so our last question really is easy. Okay. And we ask everybody, what did you have for dinner last night? I made, um, it was actually leftovers. So we had a chicken and mushroom pie, then with a um, a dauphinoise potatoes uh, with bacon and then um, stewed cabbage with apples. Very rich, very indulgent, really tasty. Wow, that sounds so good. <laughs> I know it sounds like I made it up as well, actually. It's like, who says that really? But um, it was a combination between my husband and I and somehow we managed to, not usually, but this time we did manage to collaborate very well. Yeah, we don't do much of that. <laughs> in the kitchen anyway <laughs> marriage this was wonderful thank you so much thank you so much for this conversation guys thanks a million it was great of you to join us take care take care bye 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 thank you thank you thank you to today's guest the terrific Lalani Lewis follow her on Instagram at L-E-L-A-N-I underscore L-E-W-I-S And you can get your copy of Code Noir wherever you like to buy books. You can find the recipe for Lalani's plantain and pumpkin curry on the Bittman Project. The link is in today's show notes. Thanks also to the terrific Kate Bittman, my co-host, producer, and daughter. And to our fabulous engineer, Davis Lloyd. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next week when, trust me, we will have somebody amazing. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details this message comes from bof sponsor ebay you'll know real when you get it it'll say ebay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it maybe it's a head-turning handbag 
a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.